welcome to Get Real, Talking Mental Health and Disability. I'm Emily Webb. This is the 18th episode in our lived experience series, where we are speaking with some remarkable people who have experienced and overcome adversity and who are sharing their stories in a way that might help other people in need of support. A listener note before we start. This episode will discuss suicide. If you are affected by anything discussed in this episode, call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. In this episode of Get Real, we meet Emma Benoit, a 22-year-old woman living in Louisiana in the United States. At age 16, Emma was a varsity cheerleader for her high school's top sports team with a supportive family and lots of friends. But what no one knew was that Emma was struggling with anxiety and depression. Emma's life appeared perfect to outsiders and she thought no one would understand why she wasn't happy or content with her life, because from the outside she appeared to have it all. Emma attempted suicide and became paralysed as a result. In the United States, suicide is the second leading cause of death for people aged 10 to 34. In Australia, suicide is the leading cause of death among Australians aged 15 to 24. As you'll hear Emma share, her life purpose is now to share her experience and mental health journey with other teenagers, their families, schools and communities. In particular, she's passionately advocating for more support in schools to help students to access education and support for their mental health. Welcome, Emma. It's great to have you join us. Hi, thank you so much. That was such a pleasant introduction. (laughs) Well, I've been really looking forward to our conversation. So, Emma, as a teenager before your suicide attempt, your life appeared on the outside very full and thriving. Can you tell us what life was like for you with your school, family life, cheerleading, and you were also modelling, weren't you? Yes, I was modeling. That had just actually recently become a part of my life um, in the months leading up to my suicide attempt. My life on the outside, um, as you stated, did appear pretty perfect. I had just about, you know, the perfect life. I was a varsity cheerleader. I had a great friend group. I was, you know, part of the popular crew in the, you know, school, and I had great supporting parents who were still happily married. I had the best older brother. He was my best friend. He was a baseball star at the school. So, on the outside, my life didn't seem like there was really anything wrong and um, or any real reason to have the feelings and emotions that I was experiencing with depression and anxiety. So I really protected that image to the best of my ability and really worked hard to put on this front and this persona for people um, because I did think that speaking up about how I was actually feeling was a weakness. And I thought that I kind of had a little bit of an imposter syndrome with it as well, feeling like there's no way that this could be my reality because look at my life. So that's kind of what it was like for me growing up and, you know, in the months leading up to my attempt. Now on on the trailer for the video that you've made, My Ascension, which we will talk about later, it's about your lived experience with mental health and your suicide attempt. You say, for as long as I can remember, I have struggled with anxiety and depression and you never told anyone. Your parents also share that they were completely shocked when you attempted to take your own life. So Emma, what do you now understand were the barriers for you in sharing that you felt anxious and depressed in seeking support? The biggest barrier for me was just the shame that I associated with mental health. Um, Growing up, mental health was not something that was exposed to me. To be quite frank, the first time I'd ever heard of the word suicide or depression was on a television commercial 
for medication. So it was not something that was prevalent in my life. And so when I started to suffer with anxiety and um, depression, I felt so confused. I felt so lost and I especially felt so alone. And I also carried shame with those feelings because it, I did believe in the stigma. You know, I thought that only certain types of people experience these things mentally and these challenges mentally and emotionally. Um, and like I said, I, I felt like I had an imposter syndrome and didn't ever feel like it was my place to be depressed or have anxiety and have these challenges mentally and emotionally, um, like I said, because my life was so perfect. So it was a great shock to my parents and my community. And it was also a great wake up call for me as well. I really realized that suppressing all of my emotions and tucking it all away in hopes to protect my image and to not have people view me as quote unquote weak really did come to bite me in the butt. And um, it was a huge wake up call, call for me um, surviving that suicide attempt. So as much as you're comfortable sharing about what what was happening in the lead up to when you attempted suicide? So the, the weeks prior to my suicide attempt, I had been recently invited to a modeling trip with a local photographer and we went to New York City and it was just the eight girls and their moms. And it was really the first time that I can honestly look back and remember during that time in my life where I felt free and I felt like I could just be me again. Um, I didn't feel like I had the pressures of, um, well, the external pressures as well as the internal pressures that I was placing on myself. They were all kind of just gone on that trip. And that was the week before my suicide attempt that I was on that trip in New York. Um, And I was just on a life high. I really felt for the first time in a long time, like, Everything that I had been doing at home, every lie that I've been protecting, every, you know, image that I was trying to portray was really hurting me and that I was actually really struggling with something a lot greater than I even realized. Um, So being on that trip and having, you know, this high on life and then coming back home down to my reality and knowing, you know, how great I could feel, um, it it was really a huge... um, it was just extremely overwhelming for me to have it have it happen like that, you know, to be on a trip and just be completely happy and myself and then to come home and face my reality and to really just be able to compare the two. It was really, um, really monumental for me, to say the least, because I think after I got home from that trip, which was the week before, my life when I got home was kind of just, I don't know the right word that I'm looking for. I was just living, kind of going with emotions. Um, didn't really care one way or another what things happened to turn out like. Um, and I really just, at that time, when I came home from that trip, lost my lust for life and just my zest for life and um, just really lost all desires to even want to continue trying. Um, and that's whenever I decided to attempt suicide. Did you find that because, you know, from the outside, your life looked very happy, you know, it's a life that a lot of young women would aspire to. Did you find that because of that, people didn't really ask you how you were? They didn't really probe too deeply about what your feelings were? Definitely. I think that the image that I put up kind of shielded me from people seeing me in more of a vulnerable light. Um, 
because when people would approach me and ask me, you know, how I'm doing, if I'm doing okay, I would Im- immediately get defensive um, because they were trying to break down walls that I was so confident in and just had built up around myself. Um, so whenever I was approached, you know, with people trying to offer me support, I would just get defensive and kind of shut down. But definitely do be- believe that, you know, the image that I did create and cultivate um, hindered people from reaching in a little deeper and, re- you know, actually coming to me with, you know, um, a significant concern. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. It's it, it's the kind of barriers that we can put up, but also the barriers, the the image that we think that we need to put up in life. I think you, your insights are really, are really important. You did get a life-changing injury from your suicide attempt in 2017. Can you talk to us a bit more about that and, you know, your rehabilitation and what living with a disability is like for you today? Yeah. So surviving a suicide attempt is one thing, but then surviving it and and then also having new challenges to face that were completely foreign to me um, was a whole nother thing. And I really waking up from my suicide attempt, my number one priority immediately was not my mental health. It wasn't to address the why or, you know, the reasons behind that decision to attempt. It was solely getting my physical recovery on go. Um, Because for my entire life, I've been active. I was a cheerleader, you know. And so to lose something like that at 16, you know, I really felt like my world was going to be over at that point, you know. And um, I really focused heavily in on my physical journey for the first year of my recovery. Um, And I'm grateful that I did um, because I did regain a great deal of my abilities and I did, you know, overcome a lot of odds um, during that time. But it was a real challenge. And I think part of the reason why I'm grateful for my physical journey as well is because it taught me so much that did aid me when it came to my mental and emotional journey as well. I really gained such a new perspective, a greater perspective on life and just a better understanding of, you know, things that I personally should be valuing and things that should be more important to me. I just really gained a greater perspective through the physical journey that I had to endure. Um, And I also attribute, you know, the nurses and the doctors and the therapists that really helped me in that journey because without the physical journey, I don't think that the mental and emotional journey would look the same. So you became paralyzed from mm-hmm. from the suicide attempt. What what were you told in the weeks after and how has the recovery progressed with your mobility and, and health? So originally when I was sent to the hospital, my injuries were diagnosed as, I believe it was a C4 quadriplegic which basically is just paralyzed from the neck down. I had no movement, no feeling, no sensation in all four of my limbs or my entire body. And so I was completely dependent. I was bedridden and had to learn how to do everything from getting up out of bed in the morning to putting my socks on again, to brushing my teeth, to you name it, brushing my hair, like everything that, you know, people have to do on a day-to-day, I had to relearn how to do. And it was really the most challenging time of my life. And it was, it was a long journey. I spent several months in different hospitals, you know, seeing different doctors and therapists day in and day out, 
I'm working on my physical recovery. And since then, though, I have come so far and to look back at where I came from to look at where I am now, you know, I'm fully independent. I live on my own. I drive a vehicle fully independent. Um, That was a huge win for me was to be able to get back behind the wheel and not have any adaptations done to my vehicle. Um, I have full feeling in my entire body, full sensation. I have muscle movement in pretty major muscle groups, meaning I can feel when my legs contract and I have muscle cramps just like anybody else. And, you know, so I really am grateful to have regained everything that I've regained, you know, to be able to live on my own, to be able to walk around my apartment independently with a walker and do all the things that I'm doing now. It's just, it's really makes me proud, very proud. It's incredible. Um, yeah, really inspiring. And I've watched some of the um, interviews you've done and, and the videos online. And yeah, you're an incredible woman, Emma. Um, your family were completely blindsided, shocked by your suicide attempt. And, you know, they've shared they had no idea how you were fe- feeling leading up to it. What have you learned as a family about talking openly about mental health and suicide? Your family sounds like it's incredibly supporting and loving. My family has been there from day one, from the very beginning, um, despite their, you know, their confusions and, un, you know, however they felt they were just there for me from the, from the start. And not only my family, but the entire community really rallied around me and just gave grace and kindness and compassion and understanding. Um, I really had one of the best support systems coming out of something like that. And since my family dynamic has truly changed for the better, I mean, I have not, if you would have told me that I would have been able to have conversations like I do with my dad and my mom now when I was 16, I would have thought you were crazy because just the way that we openly talk about things, the way that we just express how we're feeling and how the other person makes us feel, it really truly is such a healthy dynamic. And I feel like it's not only taught me a lot about my parents and, you know, their ways and their reasons for the things that they did um, growing up for me and my brother, but it also taught, taught them a lot too, you know, about, you know, our life growing up and, you know, just it's overall just been such an educational, helpful experience for my family, you know, despite the circumstances. And you go and talk to a lot of young people. I mean, your work now is you go to schools, you go out to communities and you are sharing your story with with young people. What are you hearing from them when you speak to them and share with share with them about your your experience? What are their concerns, pressures and struggles with mental health? And are there things that are consistently coming up when you speak to, to people all over the country? Definitely a lot of consistency um, when it comes to the feedback that I'm getting from people from around the country. Um, And the biggest thing that I'm hearing from the youth of America is just the overall pressures that are put on them by society, from schools, from coaches, from teachers, from peers, and then from themselves. Um, And I can relate to that on such a great level because I know when I was in high school, and really struggling, that was the number one thing for me was all the pressure that I felt and feeling like I'm never going to be enough or can never live up to the expectations that people have of me. It's definitely a constant and it, it seems to be a trend amongst, you know, the schools that I go to and amongst the youth that I talk to. And the the interesting side of that part, though, is the fact that because it is so common 
it it allows the students and the people that I talk to, it allows them a space to be valid in that and it allows them to express their feelings of pressures. Um, and they all come together and they just know that they're not alone. So even though, you know, it is hard to see and hard to hear, you know, the challenges that youth face today, um, it is really a cool and kind of a beautiful thing to be able to sit and just have them all be so open and vulnerable with one another and just come together and be like, yeah, me too. I'm there too. I'm right there too, you know? So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. And because of the work you're doing, you've, you know, you've been in the media, you've been on the news, you've been on podcasts like this one and public speaking and documentary making with My Ascension, the documentary you've made is, you know, your life's work now. What's the reaction been to the documentary and and being in the public eye for you going from living your life and then suddenly you are literally going around the country talking to young people and spreading your message about mental health? It's been a whirlwind to say the least, for sure. Um, Definitely. Originally, when I agreed to sharing my story, I didn't have any expectations. I didn't even know what it would come to look like. But when I made that decision, I made that decision with one mind with one thing in mind, and that was to just serve others and be this, be the person that I wish that I could have had in my life. It's, but yeah, overall, it's just been a whirlwind of a journey to say the least coming from, like you said, not having any kind of platform to having this platform. What I share and how I share it always fuels me and gives me a greater sense of hope that we will see change and we will come over this mental health crisis that we're facing as a as a world. Whenever I was first approached to share my story, I was reluctant because I didn't want all the attention on me. I didn't want all of people's opinions and perspectives to be focused on me. Um, but aside from that hesitation, I really just decided that it was what needs to be done because I have seen that sharing my story does open up a safe space for people to share their own stories and and it does allow people to feel less alone but it is definitely a challenge i will say that every time that i share my story i do it does take me back um to that to that time in my life um but overall it's so worth it because the response that i've gotten from me sharing my story the feedback that i've been given it's nothing but positivity it's nothing but encouragement and it's nothing but hope and that's the biggest thing that I'm looking for in all this is to give hope and also to receive some hope for myself. And so we'll share the trailer for the documentary, My Ascension, um, in our social media and, and the show notes. But what tell us about what the documentary is about. The trailer is really fascinating. You know, um, you're speaking, other people who have been affected by suicide are speaking and also experts in the field. Yeah. So brief little synopsis of the documentary. It It follows my story and my journey, um, but it also follows the stories of two other young individuals who unfortunately lost their fight to suicide in Louisiana, met with their families and have since become really close to their families. And um, we just really wanted them to be a part of the documentary as well. Um, That way people can view all all aspects of suicide and, you know, the realities of suicide. Um, The documentary also encompasses my journey into getting the first Hope Squad implemented into Louisiana school. So the documentary does follow that journey as well of getting the Hope Squad into a high school in Louisiana. Um, But overall, the documentary encompasses everything from the reality of suicide to the loved ones that are left behind to the pain of the youth today 
all the way through to hope. So overall, the documentary is a great tool for me to be able to share my story and to be able to promote what I'm trying to promote. And that's just hope and healing. So tell us a bit more about the Hope Squad, because that that was your big intention to implement that program in school. So tell us about what the program is. Hope Squad is a peer-to-peer response program that's implemented in schools. They have programs starting from elementary school all the way through to college. And basically, it's formatted in a way where it puts the peers or the students rather in charge. So the students actually nominate their peers as Hope Squad advisors. And the Hope Squad advisors get trained. um, They go through programs to get certified and basically just to look for warning signs in their friends, um, know the right things to say, know the right questions to ask, and when to take, you know, their friends' challenges to an adult. Overall, Hope Squad is just one of the best programs that I've gotten to work with. Um, They truly care about the students and they truly care about the mental health of the students. And it's just been really amazing getting to work with Hope Squad and getting to bring Hope Squad to my home state for the first time ever. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about peer support because I'm in um, Melbourne in Victoria in Australia and, and our state has just had a royal commission into the mental health system and about reforming it and the recommendations are getting implemented now and a big part of it is having more lived experience and peer support to support people with mental health. So for you, how important was it for you to have peer support? It was everything to me. I mean, peer support is still everything to me. I firmly believe that we were not meant to do life alone um, and we're here for each other. We're placed here together for each other. So peer support is everything to me. And I think it's so valuable to have um, a handful of people that you can go to with anything and that will support you in anything. Um, And I know myself personally, having peer support coming out of my own suicide attempt really, truly empowered me in my own story and really liberated me into feeling ways that I never thought was possible for myself. I really strongly encourage every person to be a peer supporter or look into ways that you can get certified to be a peer supporter. It just, it's really crucial. And have you found through sharing your own journey, other people like, I guess, your family and your community and people that you're close to, have you noticed a change in how they are viewing mental health and their understanding of it? Absolutely. I have seen so much growth in not only myself and my family, but my community around me when it comes to mental health. I feel like me sharing my story really allowed people the space to be vulnerable and it's just been a really great great thing to be able to witness the growth from my family and my community. My community has really opened up to the idea of sharing my story and really highlighting mental health as a whole. My community has done um, a couple screenings of the film and have really helped me amplify my voice and have really make, made waves um, in the small town that I grew up in. So it's just been really great to see the change happening around me. And of course, as we all know, worldwide, we've been living in a pandemic for the past few years, and that's meant that we've had to really shift the way we do things. And also mental health, I feel like, is being talked about like never before. How how have you been adjusting how you do your work during the pandemic? And, and you know, what have you been hearing about with, with mental health um, from young people 
For me personally, I enjoy working from home. I uh, I really do. Uh, I get you know full autonomy of my entire day and um, all of those things. But I definitely can see how being isolated and having a complete life change like that can be extremely mentally challenging for a lot of people. Um, and I've definitely seen the repercussions of what COVID has done for people's mental health. And I think now more than ever, like you said, mental health is kind of at the forefront and we're finally starting to see people more openly talk about their mental health. So Emma, what's good mental health look like for you today? So what's been some of the helpful supports or strategies that you have in place now in caring for your mental health and where did you start as well after the after the suicide attempt and then you know you're getting through your physical recovery how did you start to take care of your mental health my mental health journey really didn't begin until after i got home from the hospital um and that during that time i really honed in on my faith um i really put a lot of energy into my faith and learning who i was um and what you know i feel like is my purpose for life so that really kind of kick-started my journey with my mental health, um, was just becoming in tune with my faith and having just a journey privately with God and, you know, working on myself, the inner workings of myself, and just really digging deep and understanding why why my brain says some of the things that it says to me, you know, and the beginning of my journey was completely independent. I started to journal um, my mom suggested that I start to journal and I just started to, to write how I was feeling, write how I felt about the things that I had just gone through and um, how I felt about my life the way it is now and with a disability and just all that, all the things. Um, I just started to journal and the journaling turned into a blog. Um, and so I just started to share my journal notes on a blog. And that really is when I feel like I truly actually started on my mental health journey um, because I, before the blog, I still carried shame with my story and my own experience. After making the blog public, I really got validation from everyone and really made me feel empowered in my story. And since then, sharing my story has truly helped me heal. Um, it's still to this day helps me understand myself a little better, helps me understand people better. It just really helps me heal and I'm continuing to heal um, through sharing my story. Some of the things that I do now though on the daily basis to kind of maintain a good mental wellness is just, I like to start my day with a gratitude list. So my mom actually got me a cute little planner for Christmas, so it's been perfect. But I just start by writing things down that I'm grateful for, but no pressure on myself. Like I don't put pressure on myself to write a certain amount. So yeah, I just start with gratitude, take the pressure away from myself. And then throughout the day, if I'm feeling like I'm getting overwhelmed or too stimulated, I just unplug and take some time for myself. And that's been really crucial. It's honestly the smallest change that I've made, but it's been one of the more evident changes in my life is just solely prioritizing myself and taking time to listen to myself and taking the minutes for myself when I need. And did you also get some professional help, you know, from a counselor or a psychologist or psychiatrist just to, I guess, to get you through those, those months and time after the suicide attempt, or did your family have counseling together? So yes, I did see a counselor for the first 
a couple years and she really gave me a lot of good tools for my toolkit. After seeing her, I went and saw for the first time ever a psychiatrist and that was really helpful for me. Um, just being able to sit down with a psychiatrist and talk about the things that I've never had the chance to talk with a professional about was really eye-opening for me and I really got a lot of help and clarity from seeing the psychiatrist. But since then, I am not currently actively in therapy, um, but my therapists are on speed dial. So um, I definitely have a great toolkit when it comes to my own mental health and my own mental wellness now. So definitely took some time to cultivate, but glad that I have it. Yeah, it sounds like you do have a good toolkit happening. And, you know, the conversations around self-care as well, I find are just more now than ever. And what does self-care look like for everyone individually? And, you know, a mix of bit of professional help, faith and belief is one thing, you know, just doing nice things for yourself. It, there seems to be just a lot of ways to really tune in. Whereas before, maybe people thought self-care was a bit self-indulgent or they didn't have time for that. So it's really great to hear you talk about you do. Emma, we're coming to the end of the conversation. Do you have any final thoughts or messages you want to share with listeners? I would just like to leave the listeners with a blanket statement that they are not alone. They're never alone. If you're feeling shame or you're struggling right now and you have shame with those struggles, let go of those, let, let go of that shame because there are people out there who are willing and ready to help you, who want to help you, who want to support you, and you're never alone in what you're going through, and you can make it through it. I'd like to thank Emma for joining me today. For our listeners, if you have been affected by anything discussed in this episode, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're listening from the United States, you can phone the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on one 800 273 8255 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You can find out more about Emma and her advocacy and the film My Ascension at the website myascension.us. The links are in the show notes for this episode. I'm Emily Webb and you've been listening to Get Real, talking mental health and disability. Join us next time on Get Real for more conversations about mental health and disability. If you're enjoying the podcast, We'd love you to share Get Real with your friends and networks and subscribe to the show. That way you won't miss an episode. You can also rate and review Get Real on your preferred podcast listening platform. Until next time, stay safe, stay well and look after yourself.